0: Oh, good evening, Paradigm. How we doing? <laughs> oh, great, man. What a beautiful day today. I love that summertime is here. Well, hey, if you have a copy of God's Word, why don't you find the book of First Peter? If you're just uh, joining us for the first time in a while tonight, we have been walking through the book of First Peter and uh, Peter is one of the guys that uh, followed Jesus. He had the privilege of being one of Jesus' boys. He got to see a lot of uh, what Jesus did in his life. Peter was one of those guys that was in Jesus' inner uh, three. We talk about Jesus having 12 disciples. Well, then he had three that were kind of like his, his favorites, uh, I guess. And so Peter was one of those guys. Well, he wrote a letter in his old age to a church from Rome, and, and he uh, wrote to them about how to uh, know God and then how to live like you know God. And we've been walking through this series called Royals. And I'm so glad that you made the choice to be here tonight. If you have a copy of God's Word, find 1 Peter. It's going to be towards the end of the New Testament. We're going to be in the fourth chapter tonight. It's going to be incredible. I am so excited about what we're going to do. Um, A couple weeks ago, I was traveling back home uh, from Texas. I was in Dallas and I was uh, catching a flight from Dallas uh, to Kansas City and uh, I had been away from my family for uh, several days, and so I was really excited uh, to get back to see my wife and and my, uh, my little muchachitas and uh, my three girls and really excited to get back and hang out with them, and uh, I thought that I, I needed about 20 minutes or so to get to the airport. I really needed about 45 minutes, and so when I got there, it was one of those, like one of the young adults here, he dropped me off, and I'm like, all right, man, cool, and uh, you ever, um, maybe you're this kind of person, I'm definitely this kind of person, like on the inside you're really stressed out about like uh being on time and and you know that things but on the outside you're like oh man yeah what's up got this you know it sounds real cool on the outside but I knew that I was like running right to the wire in order for me to be able to make my flight and then it happened the the security line was forever long and you're like oh no you know worst nightmare uh, side note, I saw T.D. Jakes at the airport. I was like, T.D., what's up, Bishop? Anyway, if you don't know who that is, that's a Christian joke. Um, anyway, so saw T.D., he didn't help me out at all. Um, in this line, and I start, like, I start panicking, seriously. And and I'm starting, like, I'm, I'm trying to, like, clock the amount of people that are going through security versus the amount of time I have. And I pull up my email, and it says that the, uh, the, the door will close at your gate of departure 10 minutes prior to the flight leaving. And I'm thinking, I'm backtracking. I'm like, oh, my goodness. Um, I've got three minutes to get through 12 people to get to the security line. And my departure was imminent, and it it strongly affected the way that I lived in the present. And so, like, here's what I did no lie. Like, like, all throughout the line, I'm like, oh, it's TD. What's up, TD? Moving along. (sighs) Moving along. And then I'm like, I ain't gonna make it. And so I I said, I made an announcement. Hey, guys, raise my voice. I said, hey, I know this is weird. But my flight leaves in like 12 minutes, and I got two minutes to get there. Can I cut in line? And they're like, yeah, man, go ahead. They were real cool. Nobody punked me out. Nobody gave me that stank face look like yeah, you irresponsible, you know. And then I get through the I think get through that part and I go to the security line and I walk right into the front. I'm like, "Hey man, I know you're like you're at the front of the line, but do you mind if I cut? I've got like 2 minutes to get through." And he's like, "No, cool." So I go through. I, I'm wearing cowboy boots and a belt and wallet, all that stuff, and I get it all through and I just grab my stuff and I'm like, "Woo, you know, I'm running down the terminal trying to catch my flight because my departure was imminent." And I walk, and I, excuse me, I didn't walk, I get there, I run, and I get there right in time, and they're like, uh, what's your name? And I give them my name, and they're like, oh, well, you made it right in time. <laughs> I started worshiping, thank you, Jesus. Because <laughs> I knew, like, my wife, like, she's sweet, and y'all, maybe y'all met her, but she would cut me, like, serious, like, "Bon, quee, quee, cut me if I would miss that flight, I promise you. Oh, you don't love us? Oh, what were you doing that was so important that you couldn't make it on time. Like, you know, she's sweet, but she ain't letting me off the hook. She makes me a better man, trust me. Anyway, so I made it in, and my departure was imminent, so it strongly affected the way that I lived in the present. Peter's going to tell us something very profound tonight. He's going to tell, he's going to use this phrase, and the big idea tonight is this. If you want to write this underneath the title on your message notes, you can write this down the end is near. That Peter's going to say, Look, look, your departure is imminent. The end is near, and it should affect your present. I thought it more apropos to title the message, The Shot Clock is Ticking, because LeBron James is running out of time, right? And so, man, it's the NBA final season, so I titled the message, The Shot Clock is Ticking. If you don't know what I'm talking about, there's a shot clock in the game of basketball, okay? And you've got to make a decision with the ball within the shot clock. You've got to at least hit the rim or there's going to be a buzzer that signals off. And the shot clock is ticking in our life. The end is near and the buzzer is about to glow, uh, blow. Your departure from this life is imminent. See, one of two things is going to happen. Either Jesus is going to return or um, you're going to die. Look at your neighbor and say, you're going to die. Oh, I thought it was happy news here at Paradigm, right? Like, not tonight. I didn't say that, okay? Some of y'all are like, yeah. Because y'all argued on the way in here, right? Um, the latest statistics say that 10 out of 10 people will die. You're, you're going to die. Your departure is imminent. James 4.14, he says it like this, that our life... Is but a vapor. And when you realize that your life is but a vapor, like your life is shorter than you really think. And I know a lot of times in our our bravado of our young adult years, we really don't think that death is imminent, but I promise you it is. Y'all've all been around the old person that's like, man, life speeds up the older you get. You hang out with a 95 year old or you hang out with an 80 year old and they would tell you, don't waste a moment. Because our 80 years or our 90 years or our 35 years, I don't know how many you got, man. They're going to be just like that compared to eternity. So when you realize that your life is shorter than you think, man, it affects the way that you live. My mom recently went through breast cancer, and thank God she is good. She's been fully recovered, and so praise the Lord. But, man, one of the things that she was walking through that darkness uh, that really gripped her was her own mortality, I said, Mom, how are you holding up, man? She was like, man, I'm walking by faith. I'm trusting the Lord. I know that he's got this. He's giving me strength. And I'm like, Mom, really, how are you doing? She said, you know, really, I'm just scared to die. And when we're faced with our own mortality, it begins to give perspective on the way that we live today. Like when our departure, like I had that day on the airplane, when I knew that it was was imminent, it was coming upon me, I was like, oh, i got to do something that may be a little bit radical in the present. Public announcement. (laughs) The shot clock is ticking. We're not going to live forever. We did this poll this week. Um, we put out on uh, Josiah's Facebook. Um, by the way, my boy turned um, 29 this last week. And um, anyway, he's looking good and proud of my brother having a birthday. Everybody just speak happy birthday, one, two, three. Happy birthday. Good. That was just weird. But anyway, it was nice. That's, that's for you, my brother. Um, anyway, and so on his birthday, he threw out this question. If you knew that you had 30 days to live, what would you do? And so people came in with all kinds of responses. It was a lot of fun. One said, that I would quit my job. Yes and amen, right? Um, travel. Some of you are like, I'm trying to do that now. Spend lots of time with family and eat a lot of good food. Uh, one person said this, that I would take my family, head to the beach in a glorious beach house, eat, sing, hug, and sun on the beach every day. One person said they would fix their broken friendships and relationships. Uh, My favorite one, this will tell you a lot about me. This guy said that I would go to the Big Biscuit every morning to get a biscuit. (laughs) Hang on, hang on. Rack up millions on credit cards. Buy a motorcycle. Ride my motorcycle to Vegas. Put all the money I had on black. Skydive while riding a horse. I'm just kidding. He didn't say that. But he, He said skydive horseback ride on some beach somewhere. And then last but not least, uh, drive a NASCAR, all caps NASCAR, right? Like some of y'all like, that's your dad, right? That, or that's you, right? You walked in here, you're like, that's what I would do. One person said they would continue to spread the word and the love of Christ. What would you do? Like, I mean, y'all have heard of a bucket list. I mean, what would you, what's, what's on your bucket list if you, if you have one? What are you, what are you trying to do in your life? If you had 30 days to live, what would you do? Now, we may all have a next day, but, but we're not promised one. And all we have today is what we have in the present. And Peter's going to add some things to your bucket list if you have one. He's going to add some things for you to consider tonight in his text. He's going to say, the end is near. Your departure is imminent. The shot clock is ticking down and the buzzer is about to blow. You better give your life. To these things, And so he's going to tell us, you need to die to sin and live for pleasure. You need to pray like there's no tomorrow and love fervently. And you need to deliver the gifts that God has given you. So if you're in God's word, let's start. Verse 1, chapter 4, verse 1. He says this, Therefore, Since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind. Circle that phrase. It's a great one. For he who has suffered in the flesh, check this out, has ceased to sin. We'll get there. Uh, That he no longer should live the rest of his time. Y'all can circle the word time. In the flesh for the lust of men, but for the will of God. You can circle that phrase. For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of Gentiles or outsiders when we walked in lewdness, lust, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In regard to, those, in regard to these, they think it's strange that you don't run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. They'll give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this reason the gospel was preached also to those who are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to the God of live according to God in the spirit. The shot clock is ticking, and Peter would ask this question, how are you going to use the rest of your time? See, it doesn't matter what you do um, in your past. Your past is already done. It does matter how you let your past determine your present, and it's what you do with your today, and it's what you declare that you're going to do with the rest of your time that God has given you. That word time that Peter uses in the original language is the word chronos, which is to be compared with kira. And so it's this chronological time. He's speaking very specifically about your years. And he's going to say, how would you use the rest of your time that you have? And he's going to suggest that we do some very specific things. And you see here in verse 1, therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased To sin. If you're taking notes tonight, I want to encourage you with the rest of your time to put on your bucket list because your shot clock is ticking that you need to die to sin and live for pleasure. kind of like two opposing ideas, right? Let me explain. The first of all, we'll take die to sin to start off. The text starts off and it just says, therefore. And anytime we see therefore in the scripture, it's always pointing to what was behind it. And so last week, if you weren't here, man, check out the podcast and we learned some glorious truths about the gospel and about Jesus's dominance over the demons in our life and how we are called not to just observe God, but to experience God. And so we looked at this profound Truth, Where Peter says that Jesus, he suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God. That the point of the gospel is not what you get, but it's who. And so he's saying, because of this profound reality, because you understand this gospel and this good news and it's gripped your heart, therefore, arm yourselves. He says, arm yourselves with the same mind of Christ who chose to suffer in the flesh. See, Jesus chose to suffer, and he ceased from sin. The scripture's antidote to our sin problem is very clear. That it's not about managing your sin. Notice that point number one doesn't say, hey, manage your sin. Or, or, you know, just uh, debunk your sin or or put your sin on the shelf. It's not about sin management so much so as the scripture is going to be unapologetically clear that you are to die to your sin. Put it to death. Nail it in the coffin. Galatians 2.20 says it like this. That I have been crucified in Christ and I no longer live but Christ lives in me. That Jesus chose to suffer, therefore He ceased to sin. Colossians 3:5 says it like this: "Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. That when we choose not to live for our pleasures, but do the will of God, we sever the nerve center of sin in our life. die to sin. When you choose and you get so intoxicated by rage or by worry or by lust or whatever you brought in here tonight. I know you brought in something because I have too. And when you choose not to be intoxicated by those things but to suffer and to deny your flesh or to die to your flesh in that moment, you cease to sin. That Paul would say there's no temptation that's uncommon to man. But God is faithful to always provide you with an escape plan, with a way out. Die to sin. Choose to suffer. Cease from sin. He goes on in verse 2 and he says this, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. Now, first off, like I know when we read this, maybe you're new to the Bible or maybe you grew up in a, uh, an environment that was like, man, Christian Christianity, Christians, that, that's like no fun. That's like black white television. That's like bland food. That's like just I mean, it's just no fun at all. Why would I ever want to be a Christian? But you're, you're here tonight. Maybe you got swooned into being here. Some cute girl invited you uh, to the park and to post coffee, but you walked in here and you were like, this isn't, this isn't Lee McKeegan in post. And she's like, oh, but they serve post coffee here. And there's some grass over there, but just come on in. And so, you know, you, you, maybe you were are bamboozled to be here tonight. We're, we're glad you're here. Uh, whatever it takes, people. Um, anyway, and maybe you come in here and you have this idea that Christianity is just just kind of lameo, and it kind of sounds that way. That that it, first of all, it sounds like if you like wings and sports and. And if you like women or men, I mean, if, if you like, um, if you like uh, recreational activities like volleyball, or if you like to have fun, or if you like uh, money or rom- romantic comedies, then, then when you become a Christian, you got to, like, say no to all that stuff. And do the will of God. <laughs> like, whatever that is, right? But Peter's saying, no, 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 no. Like, you say no to the lusts of men for the will of God. See, God's will for our life is not that we would lose all pleasure in life, but that we would allow our pleasure to find its place. That God's will for your life is for your protection, but also it's for your pleasure. That See, God is the inventor of pleasure. Like God created glands in your body. God created nerve centers in your body. He created them in the opposite sex's body as well. He created parts of your brain. He created senses in your nose and bumpy things on your tongue. And so he created... All kinds of things for you to enjoy, uh, the spectrum from food to sex to beautiful sights. I mean, God created all of these things. He is a good God, Amen. These were His brainchildren. Like He wasn't surprised when He said, "Hey, Adam Eve, you may kiss your bride now. Be fruitful and multiply." He wasn't surprised. Like it wasn't like God turned His back and He was like, "Hey, Jesus, what's up?" And then Satan walked in, like do do doo and it's like. And then God turned around and was like, don't have sex. Oh, my gosh, what are y'all doing, you know? Like he wasn't surprised at how they were fruitful and multiplying, okay? God showed them the ropes, all right? He said, look, I created you. I created you. This is how it works. Have fun. You know what I'm saying? And so God created pleasure. And a lot of us, we think that God is like the complete state of anti-pleasure. But he made you. But died of sin, and live for pleasure. Your time is short. Live for pleasure. Die to sin. Live for pl- pleasure. Let me explain. See, a lot of us, um, we come uh, from this end of the spectrum. Like when it comes to pleasure, we see it like this right here. This is pleasure. <laughs> All right. I'm just going to open up pleasure real quick. Calm down. Okay. <laughs> this is pleasure. A lot of us, we come from this idea. Like we grew up in a church that's like pleasure is bad. And so we come from this end of the spectrum. It's like I ain't even looking at pleasure. You know, and then you come to your small group in this church, you're like, man, I looked at pleasure this week. And they're like, you you know, there's a special place in hell for you right now. (laughs) Right? Like you get like, and so like when it comes to Christianity, like I'm a Christian, I'm doing the will of God. White knuckling, I'm going to wear colorless clothes. I'm never going to go anywhere that's beautiful. I'm going to live in a desert, eat sand and drink just dirty water. Like I can't make money. Money's evil. I can't. I can't. No. I am to be. I'm not going to touch anybody the opposite sex. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to do anything. I mean, I'm not even going to look at anybody the opposite sex because it's just, and that's so wrong. See, but the other end of the spectrum is like this: like, oh, God gave us pleasure. Let me just scoop some pleasure out. We're like, oh, pleasure, <laughs> and and we just like we're like, man, I'm just God. You know, I'm just a man. And I got to have my pleasure, man. And we just put, and we just kind of, we, and we just act on the pleasure. Like, we just love the pleasure. And, but what happens when we act on our pleasure the way we want to act on it, somebody say it's a mess. Yeah, it's a mess, right? And not only is it a mess, that it's kind of fun at first, but, but then, like, like, this ice cream, like, it, it got cold there for a second. And it became, un, it became not enjoyable anymore. And see, when we take our pleasure into our own hands and we try to um, operate within our pleasures the way we think that we should, it always leaves us with consequences. Check this out. It always leaves us literally sometimes, but especially spiritually with our hands dirty. And so... The easiest illustration is in the text here. He said that, that once you went after the way of the Gentiles, and you were lewd, and you were in sensualities. And so a lot of us, we come, um, we approach our sex life this way. We just say, man, sex is just amazing, and, and I just want to go after it. And so I'm just going gonna, gonna to tap into that pleasure source any way I want to, and, and it leaves us broken, does it not? Listen, if your sex life doesn't grow you closer to God, there's something broke. And when we take our pleasure into our own hands, it becomes a perversion of what God intended it to be. So this end of the spectrum, pleasure is bad, and you're denying and rejecting the goodness of God over here. And then this end of the spectrum, oh, I will take pleasure into my own hands, and I'll do whatever I want with pleasure. You are living as if you were the inventor of the pleasure, and it's never going to go good for you. And Peter would say that there's a better way. Somebody say, better way. There you go. Say it like you mean it, better way. There's a better way. The end is near. The shot clock is ticking, and you need to allow your pleasure to get inside of God's will because he wants you to have some pleasure, but he wants it to be within the parameters in which he's created it so that you can enjoy his pleasure inside of his will, and it doesn't leave your hands dirty. I'm talking guilt-free sex because it's in God's will. Because he said, look, yes, you're married. You're in a monogamous heterosexual marriage. I'm going to bless that. And I love this. says this in the Bible, a little bit racy. He would say, eat, you lovers, and have your fill. He would say, enjoy the wife of your youth. That doesn't sound sexually repressed to me. That he would say, he would say, you want a party, man, get turnt. Man, have a good time. Remember in college, Josiah and I, we would vacation down in the beach, and people thought we were hammered by 1 o'clock in the afternoon. Why? Because we were having such a good time. But we were having fun. We were having parties within the parameters of God's will, and it was always guilt-free, without consequences, and beautiful The end is near. The shot clock is ticking. Our departure is imminent. Die to sin and live for pleasure. When you put your pleasure in its proper place, it's regret-free, and it leads to greater joy in the end. And God is not opposed to your pleasure. He invented it. God is not opposed to your pleasure. He just wants you to get it in the right place. Place You may have to die to sin, but you don't have to die to pleasure. That God wants you to have a vibrant sex life in marriage. He wants you to make tons of money and be generous. And he wants you to know that true pleasures are found in him. The psalmist writes this in Psalm sixteen, eleven: You show me the path of life. Your presence is not weakness, is not maybe, not partially, but is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Now, when you cross-reference this with the rest of the Bible, you find out who's seated at the right hand of God. And that's the Sunday school answer. Somebody say, Jesus... And so what the psalmist is writing is that in your presence there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand, oh, yeah, that's Jesus sitting right there, is pleasure forevermore. That your life is meant to be aligned with the God of the galaxies so that you would find extreme ultimate pleasure in the presence of Jesus. That Paul would say it like this, I count the world rubbish I count it all dung compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ. The C.S. Lewis he writes it like this. He says that it seems that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. Surprise he goes on, he says, we are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. He says that, that we are like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum because we cannot fathom, we cannot imagine what, it is, what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. And he says this, very very convicting phrase we are far too easily pleased allow your pleasure to get in its proper place don't waste your time anymore die to sin and live for pleasure the shot clock is ticking down and when you do this people may think that you're strange and they may give you a hard time but don't worry about them you live your life the way god intended it to be lived and i promise you you'll have a much much more fulfilling life amen The shot clock is ticking. The buzzer's about to sound. And Peter moves on in verse 7. He says this phrase that we've uh, hung on to. He says, but the end is at hand, or the end is near. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious, you can circle that word, and watchful in your prayers, you can circle that phrase. And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable, To one another without grumbling. Point number two, you need to pray like there's no tomorrow and you need to love fervently says in verse 7, but the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. I bet when Peter was writing this or when he was speaking this to the guy that wrote it down, I bet he was thinking about a time where he wasn't so serious. Another word that's used here, or this idea is that you would be sober-minded. And I would imagine that Peter was looking back at a time in his life where he wasn't sober-minded, where he wasn't watchful and serious in his prayer life. If you grew up in church, maybe you remember there was a time where Jesus was praying in a garden called Gethsemane. It was on the eve of his execution, and he came to Peter. Remember, he's one of his top three, he's one of his BFFs, he's one of his boys. They would ride together and die together more than Vin Diesel and Paul Washer. They were tight, they were buddies, they had done life together. And he says, Peter, hey, bro, hey, could you pray for me? I'm struggling. Peter's like, yeah, I mean, I got you, man. You're my boy. Jesus, you know, you my dog, right? I mean, he's like, I got you. And Peter went over, I mean, and then Jesus went into the garden where he fell on his face, began to sweat blood drops, because he was in such physiological and psychological agony. He comes back and he finds his boy Peter sleeping. Some of y'all, you're like, yeah, that's me right now, right? And he's like, Peter, wake up, man. I need you to pray. And Jesus, I would imagine, maybe he said this, the end is, is at hand. I need you to be serious, Peter. I need you to be watchful and pray. I'm about to die. Maybe peters he's saying this to this guy that's writing this letter down, he's like, man, tell him to do what I couldn't. Tell them to do what I failed to do. The end of all things is at hand. The end is near. The shot clock is about to hit the buzzer. You need to be serious. You need to be watchful, and you need to pray. Why is it so hard to pray? I think it's so hard to pray because we're Americans, man. We're doers, you know. We're like, we'll let the people in India pray. We're planners, okay? We'll get the right program and the plan together, and God will show up. That ain't what it says. He doesn't say, when the, the end of all things is near, therefore, plan better. The end of all things is near, therefore, work harder, serve more, do more. Says the pray. What's your prayer life look like? Is it sober? Is it focused? Are you throwing up those... Those prayers, like, you know, like the, the, uh, the hotel room prayers, like room service prayers. Like, hey, God, um, I'm a little hungry. Think you could uh, help, help a boy out? Or like, God, I got this test. You know, I'm in nursing school. I'm going to use my nursing degree to make a lot of money and serve you. Um, could you help me out on this test? God, we just had sex. Could you make sure she's not pregnant? Would you bless my sin? Some of you need to say, ouch, instead of Amen. Are your prayers serious? Are they watchful? When you pray, maybe you need these three words, these three questions I just wrote down. You can see them behind me. Three questions I want to ask you. Where do you pray, when do you pray, and what do you pray? Where do you pray, when do you pray, and what do you pray? You need to answer those three questions if you want to be serious about your prayer life. There should be a special place in your house where you pray. It should be your your prayer closet, if you will. It should be a spot in your house where you have divine conversation. Where do you pray? When do you pray? There should be a time of day in which you beckon the gates of heaven, in which you boldly approach the throne room of grace. It could be morning. It could be evening. It could be the middle of the day. You need to find a time in your day to do this. And you need to have a plan. Maybe, you, maybe over the next week you go to this place at this time and you're just silent And you just begin to dwell in the goodness of God. What's your plan? Peter says, the end is near, the shot clock is ticking down. We need to pray like there's no tomorrow. And he says, we need to love fervently. Above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love covers a multitude of sins. He says, be hospitable to one another without grumbling. He calls us to love through hospitality is the application here that Peter had in mind that we would display love to a watching world, that his letter is all about us being weird to a culture. He says, to the elect exiles, according to the foreknowledge of God, who have been set sanctified by Jesus Christ through his spirit. He says, you're going to be a weirdo in this culture, but you need to be winsome. That you're going to be offensive in this culture by your your truth that you stand up for and by you putting pleasure into God's will and in the parameters. It's going to come across as offensive, but don't focus on that. You need to be attractive. And he's going to say that it's not about what we don't do. We're to be defined by what we do. The guy named Bob Jones, Dr. Bob Jones, he's an old fundamentalist, and he said this, this, be so busy being a doer that you don't have time to be a donter. If you've walked in here tonight and your Christianity is about what you don't do, you missed the point. Peter says that you're to be known by a watching world by what you do. Be so busy being a doer that you don't have time to be a don'ter. How are you using your gifts or your house in particular for the glory of God? He says, Be hospitable to one another. It don't, it don't have to be spotless, it don't have to be gourmet cooking. Like, seriously, get a pizza, invite some people over, open up your home, let them into your life. Be hospitable. The shot clock is ticking down, and the buzzer is about to sound. And in verse 10, he says this, as each one has received a gift. Y'all can circle that. Minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. He says, if anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it uh, as with the ability which God supplies. Point number three, if you're taking notes, you need to deliver the gift that God has given you. You need to deliver the gift that God has given you. You know that we've all received a gift from God? At least one. You know that? Say, uh huh. We've all gotten a gift from God. And God has given us this gift so that we can deliver it to somebody special. It says that we are Christ's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works in which he's prepared in advance for us to do. That's what Ephesians 2 says. And, and how many of y'all love Amazon Prime? Can we just get a, a show? Oh, my gosh. Like that has changed my life. Thank you, Jesus. Right? And so you can order all kinds. And in two days it just shows up. Right? You got to go to the store. You ain't got to put pants on if you don't want to. Right? I mean, you can just be shirtless online and just, you know, get an Amazon Prime prime it's amazing and so amazon prime the whole goal is that you order a gift or you order some supply and then and then the box gets sent to the mailman and then he's supposed to deliver the gift to you okay so i'm like wow this guy's a genius okay but see what happens when we don't get the box it's a little bit frustrating right because the guy had one job right get me the gift that i ordered to me okay And I think that maybe God's a little bit frustrated because he gave you a gift, and he gave it to you not for you to go, like, how jacked up would it be? Like, hey, I ain't got any of my packages, like 17 packages. You knock on the mailman's door, he's like, yeah, I got them, bro. I got them. I'm just keeping them safe for you, man. I just thought I'd hang on to him for a few weeks. You're like, no, bro, give me my stuff. Like that was meant for me. And God's like, I've given you a gift. And your job is to deliver that gift to somebody. And it's broken when you're not using your gift for the glory of God and the benefit of the world. And you need to allow God to use your gift. So you're like, I don't have a gift. Yes, you do. You have at least one of these gifts that we see in the text. You, you at least have the gift of saying something or 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 um. Doing something and and Peter his intention is that we would we would give this gift and we see it in the text that we would minister it to one another. This ideal minister is the word diacono, and it's where we get our word deacon. It literally means to wait on a table. That you have been given a gift to deacon somebody. Y'all, I mean y'all just need to deacon somebody someday, okay? You just need to wait on them. You need to serve them. And he says this, that when we do this, we are good stewards of the manifold grace of God. This word manifold is the word poikelos and it's the word, it's where we get this idea of various colors that when we 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 give our gifts. To, that God has given us two people. We show the various colors. We show the spectrum of the glory of God's grace, that there is great beauty when we deliver our gifts in the way that they were supposed to be delivered. That's why in Paradigm, we believe strongly in peer-to-peer ministry, that you have been called here not to remain in a seat, but to get down on your knees and to serve somebody, that you've been called here to take a next step because we believe that God is raised up a generation of not observers but engagers, not the church of tomorrow but the church of today. And we want to be held accountable to train you to do the ministry that God has called you to do. That we say oftentimes that the ministry that happens off the stage is just as significant as the ministry that happens on the stage. That we want you to be a part of a ministry that is committed to doing ministry not to people alone. But through people that's why we want you to sign up for one week so that you can go have an eternal Impact on a teenager's life that your life is but a vapor your departure is imminent It should affect your present that the end is near the shot clock is about to hit Zero and you better do something with your life that matters See the world is going to ring you out the world is going to say hey come work for corporate America You're a gifted person number numbers. You're a gifted girl in creative arts. You're a gifted orator. You're a gifted programmer. And we'll use you, abuse you, we'll pay you, but we'll work you 90 hours a week. And God's saying, hey, I'm inviting you to be a part of an eternal kingdom in which you can have an impact that don't just last for 80 years, but an impact that will last for as long as you can imagine called eternity so that you can have an impact not on somebody's kicks or on their shirt or on the way that they do their bills, but you could have an impact on the way that they live on the, the cattle of a thousand hills, that you can do something that will matter forever. He's saying, come on, join the team. Deliver the gift that God has given you. And when we do this, we're walking within the gifts that God has given us. Two gifts he gives us in the text. One is that we can say something. He says that if anyone speaks, let them speak as the oracles of God. I think everyone in here has the ability to talk. And so use the gift that God has given you. The power of life and death is in the tongue is what Proverbs says. That you have the ability to build somebody up with your words. That it's like a rudder that steers the whole ship, James says. James says, and so how are you speaking the promises of God, that word oracles of God? That's his word. How are you going to people that are maybe down and out and reminding them of his goodness? God hasn't abandoned you. He hasn't forgotten you. He—he he hasn't. I know you're job hunting today, but God has a plan for your life, a plan to prosper you. Maybe you need to be the person who utters the promises of God into the other person who's a little bit beat down by this world. And use the gift that God has given you. Oh, that we would be a ministry that speaks the word of God. Say something or serve somebody. The next thing he says that everyone could fall into one of these two categories. I believe you could all fall into both. He says that if anyone ministers or serves or deacons, (laughs) let him do it as with the ability which God supplies. See, the problem is is that we are oftentimes too selfish to get over our, our, our own world. And we're not living like we're running out of time. But our departure is imminent. And God says through Peter, Use your gifts. And I love this. Peter's like getting so fired up. I can imagine because he's speaking this from a prison cell in Rome. And I can imagine he's like, and when the church does this, oh, man, it's going to be awesome. And he goes and he finishes in verse 11. He says that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. And he gets excited just at the vision of thinking about what the church would become. And I promise you, if he was here today, he would cast the same vision to you that this is what you're called to do. I'm gonna invite the band to take the stage. And one of my greatest heartaches in life is, is one of my brothers. I have three, I have two brothers. There's three boys. We were all in high school together. That's how tight we are. And, and my middle brother, man, he was sold out, man. He was sold out to Christ. He went on mission trips, he fasted for. Weeks. I mean, he led worship, and then a few years ago, he just said, I don't believe in God anymore. And so what happened was he made this turn where he said, you know what, there's no eternity. All we have is this life. And so he moved to Denver because it's one of the happiest cities in the the nation. And he's seeking happiness. That's his purpose in life. Moves to Denver, and one year ago, almost to the day, he, he meets a girl. And this girl, um, you know, she's a nice, nice woman. Well, she's uh, planning a world tour with her son. And so my brother, he, he falls in love with this girl. And on, on Thanksgiving break, she was in Paris on her world tour. Well, he flew to Paris and he proposed to her in front of the Eiffel Tower. I'm like, oh, so sweet. And it was sweet. It was amazing. And then they came back or he came back and said, hey, why don't we just get married? You're going to be in Venice, Italy around Christmas. Why don't we do a Venetian wedding? <laughs> he said, okay. And so they did their Venetian wedding. And then they went to Bali and Australia and South Africa and they did this world tour and it was, it was incredible. And then um, we, we, they start coming back home around March and they said, hey, we're going to move to Maui. And they're like like a year into their relationship, they've world toured, they've gotten married, and they've just moved to Maui. Because this is all he's got. And some of you are believing in a God of eternity, and you're jealous right now, if you were to be honest. Because you think that this is all you got. And God is like, no, 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 you, you've missed it. Don't live your life trying to get Maui. He's like, I made Maui, and I'll take you there, and I won't have any poverty or any prostitution. And if you get a flesh wound in the ocean, a shark ain't going to mess with you. You could ride a shark. (laughs) This is eternity. And I'm God. Welcome to my kingdom. Oh, glory. (laughs) St. Augustine, one of our church fathers, he's looking out over a beautiful landscape, sun setting, casting a pink shadow across this sea in northern Africa, and he pins this down. He says, if a sinful man, can enjoy the glories of God like this, how much more awaits the glories for the children of God? You don't have to wring this life out for all that it's worth. And Peter is saying the shot clock is ticking and the buzzer's about to sound. And God forgive us for being so easily pleased, for failing to pray and not using our gifts that we've been given? What's it going to take for us to be a generation that rises up and and chooses to suffer and to cease from sin, to die to sin and live for pleasure within the context of God's will? What's it going to take for us to pray like there's no tomorrow and to love fervently? The shot clock is ticking down. What's it going to take for us to use the gifts that God has given us our time is short, shorter than we think. The end is near. And the shot clock is ticking, and the buzzer is about to sound.